Hey there, Bottles Nation. So we are coming to you with Moby. Mm-hmm. They are one of my favorite sparkling wine producers this side of the Rocky Mountains. Wow, that's a bold statement. One of your favorite. Yeah. Hitting that bubbly up on this pre... Well, we did the, uh, uh, yeah. the interview before Valentine's Correct. But so. this applies to all year. Bubbly yes. is all year long. Yes, and these guys make it all year long. So tune in and you can also find out how you too can be a bubblehead. Next up on Bottles Nation, Mubby. Hey, Bottles Nation friends. We are uber excited for yet another fantastic interview with today's guest. We're keeping it local again to the Midwest in the loveliness of wine, and we're chatting with Mr. Michael Lang. He is the director. His formal title is the director of Mobbiness at Mobby, located in Traverse City. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Uh, hello, uh, to the, to the whole bottles nation and, um, yeah, excited to talk to you guys today. Excellent. Great having you on Mike. For the folks listening, uh, we are talking to our friends up in Traverse city. So, uh, Michael husband, you are a big fan of this part of Michigan. I must say. I am a huge fan of Traverse city and I have been for a number of years. Um, we carried, some Mobby wines at a uh, hotel that I was a SOM at over 10 years ago in Chicago. So uh, Chicago knows a little bit about Mobby and has grown to love it quite a bit. And then uh, our trips to Traverse City mm-hmm. first time in the uh, early part of um, last decade. Yeah. Yeah. Love so it up there. Really... I was kind of embarrassed to be a Michigander. And my first time in Traverse City was actually with you doing the wine yeah, thing. So we just decided to keep going back. So, Michael, we have many questions for you, but we always, always love to kick off our conversations. You know, any podcast you listen to, a startup or a business or entrepreneur, folks love hearing the story of people and the vocations that they have today. And in looking at your background, you know, you are a fellow Michigan guy, looks like. Yep. Um, where, where were you born? So I'm from Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, born and raised. I, I lived there, went to high school there. Um, I was there my whole life. My dad was in the uh, uh, auto industry in the Detroit area, but decided uh, to make Ann Arbor home. And uh, my brother and I are, are happy that, that my folks decided that. We, we loved Ann Arbor. We, we really, um, you know, uh, really loved growing up there. Great place. And then, uh, yeah, and then I, I went to school in Ohio, got a teaching degree, and I taught high school math for a while uh, in Barrington, actually, uh, so north, northwest suburb for four years. And then I went over to the Middle East for a couple of years and taught over there uh, math at a private American school in uh, Abu Dhabi. And uh, during that time, I, my folks um, sort of grew tired of of uh the detroit area and and really wanted to move north and my dad uh, had a great desire to farm and um grapes specifically and uh he sort of you know as i was teaching he was developing his grape growing skills and working with larry mobby uh to find a site find the, the right varieties to grow and ultimately to lure my brother and i back to work uh together in this family biz so, wow. What a way to lure your kids back with uh, making grapes for wine, right? So when your dad, because I, yeah. I grew up in the Detroit area too, um, and I part of, I love, I love, well, it's good to be back in Michigan, but growing up on the east side, it was so automotive specific. My mom worked for GM too. My dad had a tool and die shop, so I feel like I was surrounded by grease and cars. 
which gives me a great, you know, respect for cars. And I still take pride in the fact that I'm literally an auto baby. But how did your dad go from deciding to do car stuff to, you know, farming? Well, the story that I have heard from him is that sometime in high school, he took uh, a test, uh, you know, to try and figure out um, uh, what, what kind of career, you know, that that he was best suited for. I don't know what they call those tests, but you understand what I'm talking about. He took one of those and mm-hmm. farming was farming was like the number one uh, thing that came back that, that fit, you know, all of his needs, wants, and desires as far as his personality, his skill set. So I think that's been in the back of his mind since he was a younger, a younger, uh, a younger guy. And, um, and he's really at home out in the vineyard, loves it, uh, loves that's where he goes to kind of escape, um, to uh, rejuvenate, to refresh, to get energy. And um, he's, that's his happy place. So I think that ultimately he knew that he wanted to farm, didn't know what, but so throughout the course of his life, uh, figured out that it was grapes and uh, that was a way to also bring the family together. He's worked uh, in family businesses his whole life and wanted that for, for us, for his kids. Um, So that was his creative way of uh, making that happen. So I think it's, it's great. It's, uh, it's smart. It's um, he's a smart guy. He's, I uh, got a lot of experience in manufacturing and business, um, but put it all together with uh, with grapes and agriculture, and it's it's still manufacturing to a degree, making a right. making a product from something that we grow, um, you know, uh, in, in a way. I guess that's not an artsy term for winemaking, but uh, it, it is in fact kind of what we do. So, well, so then you you know get back you know, dad decides to look, and that's also pretty great from an um, introspective perspective of your father. You know, you hear a lot of people in this generation, whether you're Gen X or Gen Y or even Gen Z, to focus on the vocation that you're good at and, and do that. Your father got there, he got there after he had this, this career, if you will, but still kind of listened to himself to do that. So I think it's an interesting testament to your dad who, you know, listened to the inside, if you will to move forward and then bringing you guys in I think is a really um, beautiful thing with having the courage. Yeah. To, what? I really like this and I'm, and I'm, it makes me happy. Let's give it a go. Yeah. I guess I can use that segue uh, in order to discuss, you know, or inform your listeners about Larry Mobby and how he intersects with the story. So sure. my dad was, my dad was selling fruit to Larry cause Larry kind of advised on where to plant, what property to buy. Uh, and, and what to plant with the idea that uh, he said, he told my folks, you know, I'll buy the fruit that you plant because, and this is what I want. So, so he had my folks plant specific varieties, well, Pinot Gris and Pinot Noir. Um, and, uh, but Larry's, I mean, Larry, Larry's story is he comes from a fruit growing family in the, in the Rockford area, Grand Rapids area, moved up here in Traverse city when he was a little kid. Um, but he's been, he's been driving a tractor, running a, a cherry apple cruise since he was probably 10 years old. Um, he, he is a farmer. He grew up around the farm. Um, and in his twenties, you know, wanted to kind of do his own thing. Um, and, and entered, uh, entered winemaking and, and wine, wine grape growing. Uh, so, um, I mean, that's the short version of, of Larry Mobby's beginnings, but my, my dad had kind of the foresight to say, yeah, you know, this guy is, 
um, I don't know, like one of the leaders in the area, basically from a, from a wine style and from a growing perspective. And, and my dad saw that he would be a good partner. And I think that was a, a really wise decision, um, for, for our family. Um, and it, it has, uh, and we've, we've enjoyed being partners with Larry Mobby and we've enjoyed learning more about Mobby and taking it, uh, taking it hopefully to the next level here, uh, in the future. So. And when exactly did the the the, um, the mobby start? When did when was it officially available for public consumption? Well, he planted Larry Mobby planted his first vines in this area, not on this property where I'm standing uh, in, at the, in Sutton's Bay, but down the road uh, in '73, and then started making his wines in '78, selling so late '70s. Wow. Um, and then by the mid '80s, uh, he uh, had had an uh, an idea to start exploring sparkling wine. So he, he bottled some traditional method sparkling wines in the mid eighties. Uh, and then really by the mid nineties decided that was, that was definitely where he wanted to focus. Uh, thinking that thinking and believing that those styles of wines were best suited to our climate. We still believe that today, um, as, as, as being a, uh, you know, a strictly bubbly producer. So he made that decision in the mid nineties. Um, and that at that point it was all bottle fermented, so traditional champagne method. And then in the mid two thousands, we added pressure tank, Charmat, Cuve Close. There's a bunch of different names for pressure tank fermented wines, but um, those uh, we added that capacity in the mid two thousands. And uh, today, those products uh, are are uh, kind of our leaders as far as volume goes. Um, the tank fermented wines, the drink now, fruit forward styles, so uh, sex. Uh, us, Detroit, and uh, th those wines like that. Yeah, I was going to say for our listeners, if you don't know, um, uh, those are names of wines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are, yeah, is the, <laughs> is this a conservative uh, oh, viewing, no, no, viewing no, no, audience? No, 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 not at all, no, not at all. Um, okay. When we first visited Michael, I loved it, Michael Husband, I could refer to you either Michael, um, when we first visited, that's actually what took Michael aback when he first went up there to Traverse City. And you look at, of course, the latitude on the map and the style of wine. And, I, you know, we, we, we drink a lot of wine together. I think Mobby Wines yeah. is probably one of the first wines that you, Michael, my husband, wouldn't stop talking about for quite some time. Yeah, well, I was talking about those wines since um, the, the early 2000s or um, two decades ago, pretty much. And uh, yeah. tasting those wines uh, in, in Chicago, I just knew I had to make my way up to Traverse City somehow uh, to try even more. And it was just a great, cool. so the whole experience overall, mm -hmm. just tasting cold climate wines made the way they're supposed to be. And then uh, showing what a cold climate can do for, well, most of your sparkling wine regions are cold climates. And just showing what yeah. I do here in the, in the Midwest was really awesome as well. Cool. Yeah, I think it was a, a brilliant marketing decision by Larry to focus. And um, I, I, guess, I guess, you know, really sparkling wine continues to grow. We hope it continues. I mean, I think that there's obviously going to be some ceiling, but that style uh, is attractive. Uh, it is naturally a little bit lower ABV, uh, fresh, crisp, you know, lively and uh and fun and, and not necessarily just for special occasions good food wines as well so i think that's one way it's traveling uh, a lot of people are starting to know this sparkling wine for more than just special occasions just everyone yeah. drinking 
Yeah. Have you seen a shift with how folks discovered you before versus how they're discovering you now? Really curious as to what evolution you're seeing there from an awareness perspective. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. Um, there are kind of two answers there. Well, the first is uh, we try very hard to make our customer experience in the tasting room uh, a, a really delightful one for people visiting. Um, it starts from the minute you walk in the door, we hand you a glass and put some, some bubbly in the glass and welcome you to our, our sparkling wine house. Uh, it's, it's very uh, rustic you know, laid back feeling. Um, we want people to have fun here. We want people to try our wines in the vines with food. Um, and so the experience is really what we focus on. Now, if we do a good job there, then people tell their friends. And we did a customer survey last summer in the tasting room and 90% of the people visiting that were new to Mobi found out from a friend, from a, a recommendation. Uh, and so word of mouth is really the biggest way that people find us here now we're trying to do the second part of the, the my answer is we're trying to we're trying to push more outside of our area so um, immediately we're trying to move into Ohio more aggressively into Illinois we've been in Illinois for 20 years but we, we, we think there's a lot of potential there uh, we're trying to sell more in Wisconsin so we're starting to enter markets where people may not have heard of us. They may not have been to the tasting room. Uh, and and there, we're telling a different story. But there, I think the visuals of our wine bottles uh, are fun. They're, they're not stuffy and formal. They're light. They're colorful. They're fun. The wine names are easy to pronounce and approachable. And we're trying to take uh, a pretty casual fun wine uh, we take our wine seriously I mean we put a lot of time and energy in making sure there's quality product in the bottle but ultimately these wines are fun and, and we want people to drink them and we don't we don't want to exclude anybody uh, so having having a light light uh, easily approachable package uh, packaging uh, is good in these markets that we're trying to go into but ultimately, uh, we want people to visit us and see what we're all about and try all of uh, the different range of products we have. We've got products from, you know, $6 in a can all the way up to $55 uh, for, for vintage dated products. So, I mean, we've got something for everybody. Uh, we want to see people here, but um, we, we, want, we, we think that we can tell a story of a quality product uh, in a fun way even when people haven't visited us before. So that's the goal, I guess. Yeah, I was gonna ask about that because we were just reading the state of the wine industry, um, the annual report, it seems like there needs to be more of a, or the, or the industry looks to be seeing a focus on more direct to consumer. How do you guys approach direct to consumer? Is that a concern of yours, you know, to get that consumer that isn't necessarily visiting the winery and coming to Northern Michigan? How do you tackle that, if at all? Yeah. Well, our wine club members are our greatest ambassadors. We have uh, almost 2,100 wine club members, um, largely in Michigan, but a huge number of people in Chicago, Northern Ohio, and all over the country, really. Um, so those people, those people know us. Those people have bottles of our wine in their fridge, and they pour them at parties for their friends, and uh, and, and and so they people hear about us that way. Um, we are going to do some. Some more targeted marketing um, 
direct to consumer. You know, we're going to do more promotions online. We're going to, sh- we're going to try and ship more wine. We're launching a sex subscription, sex, our wine, uh, sex, the wine subscription, where it's kind of like an Amazon subscription. People sign up It's $29. We're going to launch this in a couple of days, actually. So sneak peek, it's $29. And that's, that locks you into uh, price special pricing on six or 12 bottles to ship. So um, that's, that's a, that's another direct to consumer Avenue we're going, but I'm, I'm more and more convinced that people are going to learn about wine the old fashioned way. Honestly, uh, they're going to learn wine by, by about our wines, by tasting it, um, having conversations with me and my staff, but we want them to visit the tasting room and we want to get out and do consumer events and just have those conversations with people. I mean, there's no better way for someone to be introduced to your product than by tasting it and having you tell them the story. Um, I think that's the most powerful thing. And so we're going to try and do that uh, over the next couple of years, more consumer events, and more targeted digital, digital marketing um, with, with, uh, with, with promotions through our, through our store online. Nice. Nice, yeah. So, uh, I've been up to the winery a, a couple times. Uh, last time I went with a friend who was actual Bubblehead, and um, yep, that's a really fun name. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's a the wine club. He's a he's a big fan. Uh, been with you all for a while, and we enjoyed some of the good tasty bubbly uh, because we were hanging out with Bubblehead. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole separate room that we have for uh, wine club members now uh, that we that we didn't have a few years ago. So that's a good asset for sure. Yeah, it kind of pushes you if you're able to get up to to TC uh, about once a year, just become a bubblehead. Well, why don't you? Right, right. We're just gonna have to. I think you need to become bubblehead. So yeah, we're gonna. I mean, for the for the for the wine club members, they see the the small production, the uh, the one off wines. They see those first. Uh, they're the first to know about events, and um, uh, so so it, there there are and there's there there are benefits on on site too. So there, it's a it's a good uh, it's a good club. It's growing. So. And then how many? Like, what, so you said you're twenty one hundred members right now of the club. Yep. And for anyone listening right now, can they just go to mobby.com and sign up? Mobby.wine, yep. Mobby.wine, yep. So let's, you know, let's, um, let's change things up a little bit. We could go into a more serious, okay. we'll go back to something, something fun when it comes to local and Traverse City. What do y'all think about the climate effects going on right now? Is it anything that's affecting you all directly? Um, I mean, has it shifted the way you have looked at the vines and, worked up there or is it a moot issue for what's going on right now no it's not it's not something to be ignored um we think about it all the time when we plant a vine we hope it lives for 40 or 50 years so we need to make sure that we're picking the right site the right variety uh for the region and that region the climate is is changing i think uh for sure um so how does it affect us? Well, I mean, in 2014, for example, um, when we had the polar vortex, we had no crop. Uh, and so that is not good. Um, we, we, uh, we struggled a little bit, not immediately because we keep our wine in the bottle and, uh, the bottle fermented stuff and then release it later. So we, we got hit a couple of years down the road, but 15 was also bad. There was a hailstorm 
on our property that year. Um, so I think the, the, I've been in this business for 13 years. Um, I, uh, I have seen the climate change in that time in that I've seen less snow, colder temperatures. Um, I've seen, uh, I don't know. I mean, so, so I guess to answer your question, yeah, we're, we're exploring new varieties. Uh, we've got test blocks of a couple new things, uh, Lockety Blanc for once, once for one, which is grown in, uh, Quebec and Nova Scotia. So super cold hardy, uh, and they make quality bubbly from that there. Um, we, we kept that separate for the first time this year and made wine from that. And uh, I think it'll be a good blending component. I'm not sure it's going to stand alone, but it can certainly help uh, add add different nuance to uh, to some of our wines. So we, yeah, I mean, we're looking we're looking more at at hybrid varieties uh, that are cold hardy. Um, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are becoming harder and harder to grow here. Pinot Noir is very susceptible to um, mildews and rot, thin skin, so it has not done great the last couple of years with all the moisture and chardonnay is uh, very susceptible to powdery mildew so again when you have moisture in the air there's a perfect recipe for for that um so i guess site uh variety are always uh, very important to us if we're going to put a vine in the ground uh we got to be thoughtful about that for sure so um yeah i guess that's my take on awesome. on that like we're experiencing a little bit more uh, humidity up there, uh, getting a little bit more. Are you getting more precipitation in the summertime, fall, uh, in the autumn time? Oh, I don't know. Last year seemed pretty wet uh, and cool, but that's not uncommon to get that kind of moisture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess, um, yeah, you know, I guess I, I, I'm seeing colder temps. Um, and, 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 and the extreme weather events, maybe, maybe more, uh, maybe more likely, um, like the hail or mm-hmm. late early season frost, late season frost, this type of thing. So, uh, this year has been pretty mild, honestly, uh, the lake, when the lake freezes, then we get in trouble. When the lake, when Lake Michigan freezes, then all the cold air from the plains, uh, it comes over unobstructed, which is what happened in 2014. Pretty much the whole lake, like 90% of the lake froze, and uh, that's, wow. that hurts. Yeah, that was that was wretched. That was wretched. And that was with two kids. That's when Nico was a baby. Where we, I just, we didn't take him out much. Um, right. Regarding, you know, the success of Mobby and the, the increase of awareness of Mobby over the last few years, and obviously there's an effect there of, you know, Traverse City. How do you think those two, and I know they're, they're closely related, obviously Mobby, Traverse City together, but what's your POV with being a guy from Michigan, you moved away, you came back, you lived overseas, you came back, started growing grapes with your dad, Mr. Mobby, going north. What's your perspective on the change? And uh, to catapult on that question, just the awareness of people in Traverse City, why? What do you think has gotten people to respect or just visit more and drink some juice from Traverse City? Um, I think that there's been a real focused effort on quality um, coming out of the area. There are a lot of... um, 
I don't know. There's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of quality winemakers uh, and the grape growing community has really put a lot of effort in trying to improve their craft. Um, and uh, there just seems, there just seems to be more of a focus on, um, on the drier wine styles, I think, or the, I'll say the balanced, I'll say the balanced wine styles because we do get a lot of really vibrant acidity and we don't want to, we don't, we, we need to balance that somehow. So, so, you know, you're going to see wines with residual sugar in them, but hopefully the wines on the whole are more balanced and uh, are, they're really showing well at, at competitions all over the country. And we're a little bit more aggressive about, about trying to play in those arenas uh, as a region. We're, we want to, we want to put our wines out there. We, we think that they can compete. We think that uh, the wines coming out of our region are, are uh, gaining popularity among consumers uh, just from the just stylistically I think people are drinking more acid driven wines uh, lower alcohol wines they're they're looking for the styles that we're producing um, I, I, I don't know I think uh, I'm excited about it I think that that we've got a lot of people doing really cool stuff uh, we're, we're always learning about what varieties do, do best here. You know, I I'm not sure Riesling is the right one that might be controversial for some people to hear, but as climate changes, uh, Riesling's a late ripener. So, uh, that could be, that could be problematic, um, in the future. I mean, don't, don't quote me on that or you can, whatever, but, uh, I, I, I think, I, I don't know. So we're still, we're still kind of discovering like, what are our grapes uh, that, that do best? Um, what are the styles that, that do best here? Um, we, haven't, we haven't really marketed ourselves uh, like Oregon has in the, in the Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris camp. Um, yeah. we're, still trying to figure, we're still trying to figure out what our, what our style is. Um, we think it's sparkling. We think it should be sparkling. Uh, we'd like to see more people doing sparkling wine. And we do, uh, we do a lot of custom work and we have seen a lot of uptick in this year um, because of the growing season we had, I think, but also because people want more sparkling on their menu. It's selling. So we're excited about that. We think there's a lot of growth opportunities there still, but uh, I mean, to answer your question, I think there's just a hyper focus on quality um, at, at, at all levels um coming out of the region more and more so people are are listening to that um the detroit community has helped a lot uh the grand rapids community has helped a lot um just sort of the mass of people that are fans and interested in michigan wines i mean that all feeds feeds into the restaurants feeds into the consumer level and uh people are coming up because i guess probably it's beautiful up here mainly um but also you know wine is is drawing people up so uh, I don't know. I'm excited about the changes that are happening up here. I think we're, I think we're on the right track. So Mike, what's your uh, favorite varietals? What do you think is going to be, um, if you had to put a stake into what Michigan's going forward with, uh, especially Traverse city, uh, which varietals are you thinking of? Uh, man, that's a good question. I think, um, I like Gamay. Uh, I think that's a red variety that is has a lot of potential here. Um, so I own another little brand with my brother called Big Little Wines, and we just released our first Gamay from 2018 uh, off, you know, four-year-old vines. 
it's really light, vibrant. It's got some peppery notes, but it's fruit forward. Um, not it's not oaky. Uh, and I think Gamay, I haven't tried, but I think it could make a nice rosé and bubbly. So I think it's versatile. I, I, I'm I'm looking at grapes that can play in a few different wine styles. Um, at you know all all together. Pinot Noir is one of those. Not it's really hard to grow here, but uh, we make a white Pinot Noir at Big Little. The red Pinot on exceptional years is great from here, but that's not every year. And then bubbly, uh, it's good, but it's again, it's fussy to grow. I, I'm I'm more hot on Pinot Blanc, uh, frankly. Um, it crops well, it grows well, it ripens early, uh, it's thicker skin, so uh, it's less less prone to disease, to rot. Uh, great bubbly can be made from it beautiful off dry wines, dry wines. I mean, Alsatian varieties, I think are, are uh, kind of our bread and butter here. And I don't think I would stray too far from those. I think we're on the right track, but I guess if I had to pick two that I'm excited about right now, uh, Pinot Blanc and uh, Gamay. Awesome. Do you use uh, carbonic maceration for that uh, Gamay? We tried a partial carbonic this year. Um, we have, I think two barrels, that uh, are uh, partial carbonic, just to try it, uh, to try our hand. And that's, I think it'll be a good blending component. I don't think we'll go 100% carbonic, but I think some some level of that uh, of that style uh, is good, is good in, in kind of rounding out the different nuances of a, of a bigger blend. So yeah, we did try it and it, it worked pretty well. Uh, I, 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 that was my first stab at it. So I've gotta, I've gotta go back to school on it a little bit, but, um, but I'm, uh, but I'm I'm delighted with the initial results. So, you know what? I should probably uh, let the listeners know a little bit, uh, Mike. If you don't mind giving a little layman's uh, overview of what carbonic maceration is. Sure. Um, so when you pick the grapes, you pick the whole cluster off the vine. And normally for red wine, you'll send the grape clusters through a crusher to stemmer to remove the stem and break the berry and ferment on the skins, which is where the color comes from. Well, with carbonic maceration, you throw the whole cluster in a vat and seal the vat and blanket with CO2 and the grapes start fermenting on their own. And there's a different... Um, fermentation pathway that the grapes uh, that the grapes proceed through instead of inoculating with commercial yeast um, and so I guess you know what you end up with uh, basically you're fermenting from the inside of the berry out the inside of the berry starts fermenting uh, you get a lot of heat but but you're you, the, the, end, the end result is a really fruit forward um, uh, uh, lively lively style wine so I mean I guess that's the short version I don't I don't know enough about it to to delve too much deeper into it than that. But um, how about how about you? Can you elaborate on that? No, I think you. Or, uh, is that is that what you understand? Basically, putting uh, the pressure in there and then having the grapes ferment from the inside out is uh, and then creating that yeah the fruity approachable style that most people know the um, Beaujolais, Beaujolais Nouveau Beaujolais Village. Uh, oh, that's how they do it. Mm-hmm. The, the description you, yep. 
that I had in my mind as you walked through that, Mike, was you know, like the, a, a Willy Wonka version of fermenting a grape. <laughs> yeah. I just had it's, this, uh, I, the reason I had this vision of the God, I had this vision of the movie and the Gobstopper and just the mission when he was the way you were describing the vat and you stick it in and it goes from the inside out and it's like this reverse it was cool yeah. yeah it's it's, it's pretty it, it's pretty cool thanks oh it was uh, actually pretty cool i didn't know that you all used uh so i wanted to let everybody also know a couple of terms as well where we were talking about traditional methods so i thought all of your wines were traditional method and then you also have you mentioned the charmant method as well where yeah. just to let everyone know that's when you take all of the wine and you ferment it in a large uh, stainless, normally a stainless steel tank, and then you're able to keep retain the bubbles and pour that wine directly into the bottle, as opposed to the traditional method where you're taking mostly still you're taking still wine and then you're doing a secondary fermentation inside the bottle and letting it age in the bottle and creating its own bubbles in the bottle. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And then to recap, Mobby style is in. Looks like Mobby, uh, so you do both of them. Both styles. That's correct. Uh, and just like, we do both. We do uh, both. Uh, about 70% is, is a Charmat or Cube Close now. Um, so, so the majority of our production is, is definitely that Charmat style. But we don't carbonate. So it's all a natural bubble from a, a second fermentation in a closed vessel. Yeah. And if you're not drinking wine, or if you're not drinking Mobby wine, we always ask our guests, what are you drinking? Yes. It you could be anything. Uh, that's a good question. Everything. Uh, I try I try everything. I'm like, uh, I, 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 I don't really, I don't really buy the same wine twice, honestly. I'm, I'm interested in, in uh, more of these um, naturally fermented wines i i've i've uh, explored a lot of those wine styles recently i like what some of the folks the younger generation out of california is doing um with carignan uh i like zinfandel um i'm a big gamay fan uh and uh pinot noir mike given how the wine space has changed over the last few years you've been in this for 13 14 years and with you know mr mobby initially planting and then you're getting into it and there's so much juice available. If somebody came to you today and said, dude, you know what? I know nothing, but I'm going to start a winery. What would you tell them? Yeah. Well, you have to sell wine in order to have a successful winery. And the marketing, the brand, um, the style, uh, you're going to spend, you're going to, you got to think a lot about that. Um, I, I, the passion needs to be there, of course. but. Um, you're going to spend a lot more time selling your wine than you are growing the grapes or making the wine. It's something Larry, you know, told my folks, he told me right out of the gates is that's the reality of the wine business. You spend a lot of, you spend the most amount of your time trying to sell your products. Uh, so the story, um, the wine, what, what's in the bottle. Uh, I mean, it all boils down to that. So the reality, the reality is you're going to spend a lot of time selling. Um, you should know that. Uh, and you have to sell wine in order to be successful uh, in the wine industry. So um, I guess that would that would be what I would tell folks. Is that kind of what you're what you're asking? Or, yeah, uh, yeah, because that you know, because I um, we're talking to some friends um, on the West Coast, and you know, with Silicon Valley being there and what have you for a while, there was a trend where a lot of guys and ladies who did really well with tech would just start a winery to start one, 
uh, because it was interesting and cool and fun. So I wasn't sure if you had, I mean, obviously we're different with the Midwest, but we weren't sure if you've come across folks the last few years looking at your vocation and, you know, summertime, Sutton Bay, working on a vineyard, picking grapes and saying, you know, I'm going to do that without really realizing yeah. the depth that goes into it. I mean, that's where you're going to spend the most amount of time and you really need to know the people that are, are buying. You got to, you got to pound the pavement and meet those folks that are selling your wine, buying your wine. Um, that's where the time, that's where a lot of the time is spent, uh, frankly, but, um, the wine business is where rich people go to, to lose money. I think, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but no, the, a good plan, a good plan in place, marketing and, and sales wise is probably wise. I would, I would, uh, I would caution to that. It's kind of like saying I want to start a restaurant. Only right. Way more. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. The equipment is so expensive. It's very. It's pretty cost prohibitive. So um, there's a lot of upfront investment for sure. What would you like listeners to know about Mobby? When should they come visit you? When are you open? Give us the breakdown so we can help bring more bodies up to see you. Sure, sure. Well, uh, we're open this time of year, Wednesday through Sunday, noon to five. And then in May, we move back to seven days a week. Uh, so, uh, but, and then Mobby.wine is our, our website. I would say this is a great time to visit, frankly, during the week. If you can get up here this time of year, anytime now through May, if you can get up during the week, it's going to be quiet. You're going to have the whole, you're going to have the wineries to yourself. You can snowshoe. Um, you can you can enjoy enjoy the quiet. I mean, if if that's your if that's your vibe. Um, if you want to be outside, if you want to be uh, if you if you if you're more of a crowd person, Saturdays are the days to visit. But but those are the most crowded for sure. So uh, I would suggest a weekday, frankly, uh, to visit us. And uh, what do I want people to know about Mobby? Um, I want people to know that that we celebrate mobbiness and what mobbiness is is the feeling you get when you drink our wines or when you visit us uh, it's an everyday celebration uh, we're toast to life uh, we believe that bubbles can be enjoyed every day yeah Come on, thank you guys thank you michael um this was outstanding and um for anyone who has any other questions we'll make sure we include links and whatnot to how you can get to mobby and have yourself a bottle of sex. I just like to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you guys. Appreciate it. Uh, happy Valentine's Day. And um, yeah, uh, look you. forward to meeting you in person. For sure. For sure. Until next we'll time. Yes. All right, Bottles Nation fans, we're going to sign out on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed that episode as always. But check this out. If you could give us a review and let us know how we're doing, that's awesome because we're trying to make and bring you content that you want to know about from winemakers, craft beer makers, to distributors, to up and coming stars within the space or even educators. That's what Bottles Nation is all about. But we're also about partnering with you. If you go to BottlesNation.com, you'll find out that we run a slew of private wine events, all run by certified SOMs. If you are a brand person, agency, and working on a new product launch or a program, and you need additional digital marketing and social media chops in the form of influencers or even reviewing a product, we can do that too. Hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and you can send us a note over at www.BottlesNation.com. Thank you so much for listening. This has been such a joy to launch and we're not stopping anytime soon. 
So many bottles, so little time. Until next time, Bottles Nation. Thanks all.